Happy versus Flourishing, episode one. Welcome to the brand new podcast, Happiness, Happy versus Flourishing, where we explore different ways of improving quality of life, having a more fulfilled life, a a good life, and just getting different experts on every week with little tips on different things, how we can improve aspects of our health and even aspects of our business and increasing prices and providing more value and, and, and so on. So uh, in this episode, we're going, it's the introductory episode where you're going to hear a lot more about the type of things that we will be, will be hearing about in future. If you're a previous listener to Exceeding Expectations, Exceeding Expectations, the last episode was last week, which was episode 100, and it is now being replaced with this podcast, Happy Versus Flourishing. I hope you will stay subscribed if you like the content that you hear in this and why not share this episode with other people who you think might get some value from this and why not leave a review tell us uh, let us know what you think about this that really helps to get the word out that you know they see other people have liked it and their other people are more likely to listen to the podcast as well so this is the introductory episode hope you enjoy Welcome to the first edition of Happy Versus Flourishing. And this is the introductory episode. And I've got in there, well, not in the studio, I was going to say in the studio with me, but on the, on the line is a man by the name of Morton Patterson. How are you, Morton? I'm well, thanks, John. Very well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Well, Morton and I go back a long way. We've known each other. I'm not going to tell you how many years, but it's, it's quite a few years. <laughs> it's what? I don't know, 80% of our lives? Oh I don't know. my God, a long if time. You, if you were to look at this percentage, it's a long time. Yeah. It's a big, big time, yeah. Uh, Morton, what is it that, that you do? I mean, you've, you've got your fingers in a few pies yeah. and... We've, I mean, there's some areas that we cross over, but you've got a great way of doing things. Do you want to tell people about what you do? Yeah, thanks. Um, thanks, Tony. What I do is I work with service professionals and I help them to sell on value and not price to increase their profitability. And basically the main focus of my business in consulting is working with business owners and independent professionals who are struggling with, you know, how to really identify the value of the work because they quite often go in because they lack self-esteem or they don't really understand how much of a difference that they've made. I help them to understand what that difference is. And the whole program that I offer of services is really called Knowing Your Value, How to Know Your Value and Sell on Value and No Price. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do that. Through coaching, I write a weekly memo, which is called the Morton Patterson Business Memo. And um, I'll be following in Tony's footsteps is um, I'm going to be doing a podcast very soon. But at the minute, um, that's what I do. Fantastic. Well, and we'll, we'll dig into to more of that later. But but this episode is, as you know, being the first one, is to really let listeners know a bit more about what this podcast is all about. Because most people... I presume listening to this will have probably previously been listening to the Exceeding Expectations podcast. And this has got a slightly, well, not slightly, it has got a different um, aim 
and content and different types of guests. Um, so we're just going to explore a bit more about mm. what this podcast is about. So for you listening who have maybe listened to previous um, editions of Exceeding Expectations, this will tell you more about what this podcast is going to be about. So Mawson right. is going to he's going to ask a few questions so he can get it straight exactly. Because I'm, I, I think Morton knows what it's about, but... He'll get it straight in his head exactly what the podcast is about. And in in him doing that, you'll also find out exactly what this podcast is all, mm. all about. You know, the interesting thing I wanted to say quickly is, you know, Tony, you're a man of many books and many words. And every time I speak to you, I learn a new word or I learn, I learn of somebody new. <laughs> and so um, I, I have a couple of questions, believe you me, that I really want to ask you for you to explain some of these words which I've just been familiar with through you. But I think let's start with a very simple one, um, which is, what, what, is, what does zest mean? I don't even know well, what does zest mean? Well, and, and the reason, and I guess anyone listening, will, hopefully you'll have seen the artwork for the podcast. And, and around the artwork, there's all these bubbles with different words or phrases right. within the bubbles. And one of the words is zest. And it's probably, um, I've tried to make it, much uh in the foreground so it's very easy to spot because it's a really important word I mean, all of the words i think are important but this may be more so than any and it's because it's about enthusiasm and energy and doing things with a with a real love mm. and so that it's something that that you really enjoy doing and you come to it with great energy and it doesn't seem like work and it, it's not necessarily relating to work because it could be about hobby that you you have or mm-hmm. it could be about spending time with your kids or your partner or, you know zest can be used for so many different areas of life mm-hmm. i suppose that's when people say he or she has a great zest for life yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah, and yeah. It, okay and also i don't know about you but i just love the sound of the word yeah, zest has a great sound to it. Yeah, it's a, lo- it's a lovely word. Um, the other word that really just jumps out at me that um, I'm looking at this list of words I'd love to understand more, which I think we all take for granted, is justice. Mm. Yeah? So in the context of your podcast and in the context of what you're trying to do here, what do you mm. mean by justice? So justice is... it's. I mean, commonly, I think people just look upon justice as in the law and, you know, if someone is someone guilty or not. But justice is, is so much more than that. It's about are we how we treat people and are we treating them fairly? So I, it, it covers a few different areas, I would say. It's kind of similar to the word fair. Okay. Um, it's, it's really about, uh, in some ways, about trying, doing the very best, you know, for in our own lives and not just our friends, but for any, everyone we meet mm. and, and not to ever try to cause any harm to anyone. It's, it's about being, yeah, just being an honorable person, I guess. Right. Okay. So you tie justice in with honor? Yeah. You do? Okay. Mm. Okay. Um, Right. Um, is there any other thing? I mean, sometimes we look at justice in the form of, of law and the legal thing. We want yeah. to get justice. Can you mm. explain that to me a little bit? 
so, about yeah what you mean. So well, there's to act unjustly is yeah inflicted injury or harm on on another person, but there's many people will will know of Cicero, and I'm sure yeah. you, you know Cicero, the the ancient Roman um, politician, and and he's got a quote that said, "Men are induced." to injure, injure others in order to obtain what they love, uh, what they covet. Mm. And it's, it's about um, try, treating people fairly and not just trying to do what is best for you, but, try, but trying to do what is best, what is good for you, but is also good for others. So that you're trying to, to you're not just coveting everything you can possibly get. You're not just trying to, you know, being really narcissistic about things. And just trying to do what's good for you and without giving a damn about anyone else. So it's about looking out for yourself, but looking out for others at the same time so that you're trying to help yourself while you help others. Right. Okay. Okay. That kind of explains it more. I think one of the things I've learned along the, the journey of life is when I used to learn new words, I used to hear that one of the best ways of remembering them was to write them down and use them three times so it mm. kind of sticks in your memory. And there's one here I'm, I really would like to understand what the meaning is. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to use it in everyday language, but mm-hmm. um, it's eudaimonia. Mm. Eudaimonia, what does that mean exactly? Well, in, in ancient Greek times, in the, the philosophers like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, they used to refer to this word all the time. Mm-hmm. And... And especially Aristotle, in in his ethics, he talked about eudaimonia. And often when we see it translated these days in in English, it's usually referred to as happiness, which is a really not a good translation because it's much more than happiness. It's more, it's about flourishing. It's about living a fulfilling life, living well. It's about a a good life. Right. And and that's much more than simple happiness. Right. And so you you could say eudaimonia, or you could say you know that you're trying to live with eudaimonia. Aha! Uh-huh. I see. Can you be in a state of that? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Okay. So you're. So I mean, that's really the essence of this podcast because the name is Happy versus Flourishing. Right. So this is really what it's all about because a lot of people pursue happiness, and it's uh, it's it's an aimless pursuit. You can't really. Aim. You can't pursue happiness. It's something that happens while you're doing other things, while you're enjoying something. But just trying to pursue happiness for the sake of happiness is, just seems madness to me. Mm-hmm. But whereas you can be in the state of eudaimonia, you can be flourishing in your in the way that you go about things and the way that you're zest for life and the way you enjoy life. And so that's why this podcast is called Happy Versus Flourishing because right. I think it's much better to aim for flourishing, for eudaimonia, than it is to aim for happiness. That's, that's just something that comes about as you enjoy life. Right, okay. Well, you know what? Now I have a really, um, well, I've learned a new word for a start, but I've also have a, a, a new understanding or a different way of looking at happiness and flourishing. Hmm. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm hoping I'm going to pronounce the next one really well. It's really <laughs> interesting. Arete. Arete or Arete? Arete. Arete. Arete, yeah. Yeah. What does that mean? So it's another ancient Greek word, and and not all of these words are Greek, but there's a few of them are ancient Greek. 
Mm. And in those philosophers I was just talking about, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, they used to use this a lot. And it it means excellence, really, is what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. And it's what we're trying to aim for in what we do. I mean, none of, you know, all of us have got flaws and none of us are ever going to be perfect. So it's not about being perfect, but it's trying to be as good as we possibly can be in whatever it is we do, whether that be for work or for our relationships or, you know, with, with our partner or our children or, or whatever. Mm. So it is, it is, it is, is that the pursuit of excellence? Yeah, it is. It's about trying to be as good as you can, right. knowing that you're never going to be. So it's not about the pursuit of perfection because that's impossible and it's right. and it's pointless. But it is about trying to be as good as you can be, mm. knowing that you're always going to make mistakes. There's always going to be flaws, and there's always going to be times when you treat someone, and then afterwards you think, "Oh, I wish I hadn't treated." You know, you, you do you make because we all make mistakes. It's part yeah. of life, isn't it? Mm. All right. Okay, great. I tell you, you know, it's like there's one word here that I really want to ask you about because we assume the meaning of it, but it would be great to get a good, clear definition. Um, you're saving me having to go on Google, by the way. So these uh, <laughs> are good lessons. <laughs> wisdom. Right. Well, it's funny about wisdom because we, I think typically wisdom is just about being wise and knowing a lot. Mm. But the when when I use wisdom here, and I had to because of lack of space on the podcast artwork, there was I wanted to put applied wisdom, but I was just trying to fit everything in, and there were so many words and phrases, so I just put wisdom. But really, it's about applied wisdom because wisdom on its own doesn't it's, you know there's no point in reading loads and loads of books if you just take in all that knowledge and don't do anything with it. That's just a complete waste of everyone's time, especially your time. Yeah. So applied wisdom is about taking that knowledge that you've read in books or that you've heard when you've gone to a course or you know, a conference or whatever it might be, a workshop, and then actually doing something with that knowledge and applying it to your life so that it improves your life, it improves the, the lives of the people that you love, you know, all those around you as well. So that's really what, what, it, yeah, what I mean by that. Right. Okay. Okay. And another one that really that comes to mind that I'm looking at is um, energy. Mm. Yeah. Now, how is that folding into, how is that kind of going into the, the whole concept, that, that, the, the thing re- regarding your podcast, wisdom and now energy? What, what, what are you thinking? Well, because energy is, in, is essential in everything we do. There's... Yeah, it's, it's energy is all around us. It's you know, in uh, on our planet and on every planet, we're just surrounded by energy, and we are a ball of energy. Yeah, and and we we should be always trying to use energy efficiently, and so and what I mean, and how we create energy, and how we how we use the energy. So, for example, if we get good quality sleep and a good quantity of sleep we then build up a lot of energy. And if we use that efficiently, so if we're exercising, which actually, again, increases the energy further, as opposed to if we're sedentary all day, we just waste and we use an energy really inefficiently. And by doing things like meditation and relaxation, that again gives us, it it uses energy better and it, it 
gives us more energy as well. So it's all about, and it relates back to zest because zest, one meaning of zest is about energy. So, yeah, so energy is really important, I think, because we we can use it efficiently or we can use it really inefficiently. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's funny how those really simple words, wisdom, justice, energy, we hear them in everyday life, but the the it's practical application, it's practical meanings are so important. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it you were talking about flourishing and a red tape just now and I'm I'm thinking of another one and you mentioned about having good sleep. Mm-hmm. What 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 was increasing good stress? Because you mm-hmm. think of stress as a negative thing, stress management, mm-hmm. suffering from stress. But mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about increasing good stress. So when you when you exercise, the reason that we exercise, whether it be maybe running or going to the gym and using weights, by using a weight, we're putting stress on the muscle. Right. And, and that breaks the little fibers. And then so that's, that the, the muscle then repairs itself and it gets slightly bigger. Right. Um, by that, that's good stress. And we we need a certain amount of stress. We can't live without any stress at all. It wouldn't be a very good life at all. Oh, so see. when we have good stress like that, it's it's great. It's really good for the body, and it helps us to to improve. And and is that there's many other types of good stress, not just upon upon the muscles. Well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what I didn't realize that you've just taught me is this thing that we need to have stress in our lives, and without it. I suppose there's an element of balance. So it's how, mm. I suppose it's how you manage the stress. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, too much, obviously too much bad, what we consider bad stress is obviously hugely destructive in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah. So you were talking about stress and how we're managing it. And then another word that you've really told me about, and I really want to understand a little bit more is sleep quality. And so I think sleep is probably, you know, there's, there's pillars that in our life that we have to, you know, some really important pillars of life. And I would say they are sleep, nutrition, relaxation, um, maybe, uh, what's the other one? I can't even think of the other one. Now. There's four I normally think of. Mm. But sleep is probably the most fundamental because it's the most important thing we can do because when we don't get good quality sleep and and quantity and quality go hand in hand. When we don't get a good quality or quantity of sleep, we then tend to be much more moody. Mm. We don't cognitively, we don't work as well. We um, we don't treat people as well. It affects us in so many negative ways. Mm. But it also really affects our energy. We just don't have the energy to to do things until we can be much more lethargic. We're much more we're much more likely to have an accident on the road. When people, um, I think it's when we get six hours of sleep as opposed to eight hours of sleep. Yeah. The, the probability of being involved in a car crash, uh, it just goes up hugely and it's equivalent to being drunk. Wow. Okay. I see. Um, I want to go back to um, getting the definitions of a couple of Greek and Latin words because the sound of them is really, really attractive and really kind of, oh, what does that mean? Kind of thing. <laughs> and exciting. Um, so 
the the original Latin speakers may be, you know, aghast at how I'm pronouncing these things, but I'm doing the best I can. Amor Fati. Yeah, no, that was pretty good, actually. Amor Fati. Yeah. It was actually coined by Nietzsche. Um, and a, tr- a literal translation is a love of one's fate. Um, love of your fate. Yeah, so it's about... Um, being enthusiastic about what happens to us because typically we tend to think of if something bad happens, then we get all upset about it and wish that that thing hadn't happened. But but what's the point? Because it's already happened. So it's much better if we just accept what's happened. And and in Amor Fati, they would say, and then be, have an enthusiastic acceptance, absolutely love what happens to you, even if it's seemingly bad. Because how many times does what we think is bad in, so say like we lose a job, we're made redundant, or we have a breakup, you know, our, our girlfriend, wife, whatever leaves us. But then you look back at it in, say, five years' time, and that actually was a really good thing because that led to something much better, a much better job, a much better relationship. So often in life, what we think of as bad yeah. turns out not to be bad at all. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um it's difficult to accept it at the time mm. that you should love your fate, whatever that may be. Mm. And what really, what was really striking is how even in Latin and Greek times, they had these words for experiences that today, when we think about it, you think, oh my God, how can you love your own fate? But even way back then, they were thinking of these definitions. You know what I mean? And well, if you just, if you try and fight against your fate, how, who's going to win? You can't, you can't, if something's already happened, yeah. it's pointless. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. Yeah. Fate, F-A-T-E, yes. it's something that's, that's going to happen. It's predestined. Hmm. And I think, um, another word that really comes up for me is, I think it's ludus. Hmm. Yeah. Well, there were, the word we use, um, the word love in English is such an inadequate word for what it really means because we use it to mean so many different things. And the the Greeks had seven different words for love. Really? Yeah. So they had, let me try and remember all of the the Greek words for love, but they were much more descriptive. So they had the eros, about romantic, passionate love, Mm. There was philia, which was about affectionate love, you know, friendship. Mm. Mm. Uh, there's agape, which is about selfless or universal love, such mm. as the love for strangers and so on. There's storge, I'm not sure if I pronounced that right, which is about sort of familiar love or mm. a natural form of affection between you know, family members. Right. There was mania, which we all know that word, that was obsessive love. Mm-hmm. When love turns to obsession, it becomes a mania. Mm-hmm. It was Ludus, the one you mentioned just now, which was playful love, describing the situation of having a crush and acting on it or the affection between young lovers. Right. And in two other forms, there was Pragma, which is enduring love, which is love built on commitment and which is not a love that people have in the early stages of a relationship. But after people have been with each other, with each other a long time, they're much more likely to have Pragma, which is a real enduring love and it's something that's just built up and built up and the relationship's got better and better wow that's the last one yeah and the last one is called and i'm not sure if i pronounce this right either it's philatia which is self-love because too often we 
many people treat themselves so badly and there's such negative self-talk and self-worth issues. And if we, we have to love ourselves before we can love anyone else. If we don't love ourselves, it's impossible to, to properly love anyone else. So how does that, how do you spell that philatio? Because those different versions of love are, are really interesting. So how do you spell that? So philatia is P-H-I-L-A-U-T-I-A. Wow. Okay, great. Now, here's a question for you that really struck me while I was listening to you. Because you sound like a Latin and a Greek expert. Were you really good at this at school, Tony? No, I wasn't. And and funnily enough, (laughs) I was terrible at school. Well, actually, that's not completely true. So in in my junior school, Mm. I... Uh, I was doing okay. I wasn't doing great. And then when I was about nine, I think it was, my mum gave me a set of Encyclopedia Britannicas. Mm. And for some reason, I just read these from cover to cover. Wow. I just fell in love with them. Mm. And all of a sudden at school, I started just shooting up. And I was going from being very middle of the road to being, I wouldn't say I was the best in everything, but I was starting to do really well. And I was certainly in the top classes for everything. Mm. Whereas before I'd been in a sort of middle class. Right. And right. then when it came to going to senior school, I actually lived in quite a rough council estate in, in Kilburn in northwest London. Mm. And my mum, I had the grades to attend Marleybone Grammar School. Okay. Um, and that's where my mum told me I was going. But the council estate I was living in and the uniform I would have to wear to go to that school, I would have been beaten up every day by the kids that lived around me. And I thought, there's no way I am going to that school. I want to go to the local high school where all my friends are going. Mm. And it's probably the only time in my life I ever won a battle with my mum about something so important. She told me, you're going to Marlborough Grammar. And I said, well, if you you send me that, I'm not going to go to school because I know I'm going to get beaten up every day. So eventually she agreed that I could go to local high school. But what happened when I went to local high school, in the first year, I was getting 100% in every exam, in maths, in physics, in English, everything. And, and then I, everyone started, I was wearing glasses, and so people started calling me Joe 90 and brains. And when you're a kid, you don't want to be different. No. And so I deliberately started not doing work, playing around and not doing homework and just trying to fit in with everyone else. And I carried that on for way too long. And so at school, I didn't really do that well. And it's only been in the last 10 10 years or so, I've suddenly developed this insatiable hunger for learning and just reading. And I read probably a couple of books a week. And and so, yeah, no, so I wasn't really into all this stuff at school. No. But here's the thing. It wasn't so much – what is interesting in what you've just said, it wasn't so much about – you weren't really so much into that stuff at school. You weren't that really great at school. It was the story around it. Yeah. And that probably explains why you're doing this podcast, why you started exceeding expectations. And the reason the question came up is because you could explain so clearly all the different types of love. You may, I mean, mm. it's amazing. Your knowledge is quite extensive. But it raised so many things. The thing about peer group pressure, the thing about how we don't allow ourselves to get into our brilliance and to flourish, how mm-hmm. we, we prevent ourselves from growing to our true potential. And mm-hmm. what would your life would have been if you didn't allow that to get in the way of, trying, of being acceptable and just went for more loving Tony more as he was then, mm-hmm. you know, and being more. 
And that is what's amazing about that story. And just asking that simple question mm. open up that whole new world of understanding about you. So mm. let, me, let, me, let me just come down to something a little bit, because what it did, it led me to a word which I think is really, it made me curious. So what does curiosity mean? Well, and curiosity is... It's so important, isn't it, to be curious about life and about yeah. because if you're if you're not curious, then it, I, I just imagine life would be really boring, and you're much more likely to be, I don't know, depressed if you're not curious about life. And mm. there's so much about life that we don't know. There's so you know what was it Socrates said about the only thing I know is that what I, I don't know anything or something similar to that. You know, it's there's so much that we don't know. And I think that's why this discovery or rediscovery in the last 10 years of just in this insatiable kind of hunger for learning and reading more and more and more, because I'm just curious about so many things. Mm. Interesting, interesting. So is that, you think, a key part of being successful in life is just being curious? Yeah, I think so, because it means you're more likely to enjoy life you're always looking for new things, always looking to try go to new places, maybe yeah. try new foods. You're always, you're much more um, want to be meeting new people and have new experiences. Mm, mm, mm. And that all ties to curiosity, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, and tell me if you think I'm wrong, mm. I think a person who is curious leads to them being to some degree maybe inquisitive and that inquisitiveness I think and this might be a personal thing can lead to courage absolutely hand in hand what does courage mean well and courage is really having the courage to to be unconventional maybe to do things that people other people think are weird or, or strange the courage to you know, to face misfortune, the courage to face death, to not be worried about death, about risking, you know, taking risks um, and holding to your principles and, you know, just speaking the truth, speaking your mind. Mm. It's really interesting because when you think of um, courage and then you're thinking about the courage to face death, then it might be the courage to face your fate, which is the amor fati. So. Yeah those things must be aligning in some way. Mm. Um, well, and that all ties in with, um, there's a phrase that on in the list called memento mori. Exactly. I was just about to ask you to tell me a little bit more about that. And memento mori is, people often misunderstand this. So the actual translation means, remember you must die. And yeah. people's initial thoughts are, what, how morbid is that? But this was something the Roman emperors when you, well, you yeah, we see these sort of films with the Roman emperor in his chariot. And in Roman times, there was also always a guy behind him whispering in his ear, memento mori, you know, while all the crowd are cheering and worshipping him and telling him how great he is. This guy is whispering in his ear, memento mori. And it's about when you realise or remember that you're going to die, it actually helps you appreciate life more. Mm. which you don't just take life for granted. Mm. 
So by remembering that, you're much more likely to actually enjoy life and not fear death because there's no point in fearing death because it's going to happen to all of us. So mm-hmm. just live life the best you can. Absolutely. And with that, memento mori, knowing don't fear death, knowing we are going to die at some mm-hmm. stage. What I've heard it in the film would remind me and you know, give all of us a, a better understanding, I'm sure, of Carpe Diem. So it's really, well, whenever I hear Carpe Diem, I immediately think of Del Boy and I'm Only Fools and Horses. Oh, cool, timeless. <laughs> um, I forget how he used to describe it, but it actually means seizing the day, just enjoying <laughs> being in the present and not placing, just thinking about the future all the time, which is what so many people do. It's, 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 it's seizing the present and the future. And that's no, it's about enjoying the present. I think right. just seizing, doing what you can now and not worrying so much about the future, just enjoying the present, enjoying right here, right now, enjoying right. this conversation. Okay. Okay. I tell you what, what I'm interested to learn a bit more about is, um, Something that you've mentioned, which is, I think we've spoken about regular reducing bad stress. We've spoken about um, courage and curiosity. And actually, it's empathy is the word I'm looking at. Mm. Empathy. Now, I think that's a word that's commonly known and we measure people by whether they're empathic or not. Mm. But what do you mean? I think it's such an important word, especially in these times, because there's so many political leaders don't seem to possess any empathy whatsoever. Mm. And if, I mean, this goes hand in hand with emotional intelligence for me, and it's about really trying to be, show empathy for everyone we meet, not not just friends and family. Right. Trying to put ourselves in, in other people's shoes and thinking about what they're going through and and just having some some empathy for people. You know, I mean one of the situations at the moment, we have all these headlines in the in some of the newspapers about how they're really trying to force their agenda again to get people to hate um the refugees that are yeah. coming here. Yeah. And it's there's such they, they show no empathy whatsoever and they just again trying to do the normal division you know, dividing people. But if we had more empathy for these people about the situations they've been facing and why they're having to pile into a boat, which yeah. they know may well capsize, yeah. to, it's just, yeah, just having more, some consideration for others. Yeah, I mean, you know, this, that's not the purpose of this podcast in the sense of my comment, which is that, you know, I have lived in certain places for 10 years, um, 15 years in my house in, in South London. I've been there nearly 23 years. What must it be like to uproot yourself, mm. to leave the country that you're living in and go and live yeah. somewhere else? Who wants to leave their home and their family and their, their, their homeland? You know what mm. I mean? So yeah. it's interesting. So that, that leads me, I think, into a word that I really want to understand because it's the opposite, the antithesis of it. What does anti-fragile mean? So anti-fragile, I don't know if you've, there's a book called Anti-Fragile. By um, uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb, right? And it's a it's a really good book, and it's about um, it's about you know when you're fragile, you're you're much more likely to be living the victim mindset and always yes. believing people are. 
doing things just you know just to you and and you're just it's a really i just can't see how anyone could enjoy living that kind of life you're more likely to be angry and bitter and resentful so anti-fragile is it's the opposite of that right so it's about um because we you know we talked about stress before and how stress yeah. can be a good thing mm. and so if we can invite some stress into our life to go head head first into obstacles and to things that are seemingly bad and by doing that we're much more likely to to learn how to get over these these kind of obstacles and so next time it's not going to be any issue at all because we're used to dealing with that and so it's inviting failure and learning from failure and yeah so being anti-fragile is just yeah bring it on i can handle that and i and you're just making yourself stronger right so is that okay so is that another way or, or another way of saying resilience being able to recover from resilience being able to recover from setbacks yeah because you know it might be said that some people are just they're not strong enough but being mm. anti-fragile is being able to to handle those situations that may be difficult is that right exactly yeah right okay i see it seems it seems such a disarming word it's like what the what is and what how could there be such a word but it makes absolute sense when you think of it of the anti of fragile well, and I'm not sure it is actually a word. I think that he made this word up. I seem to remember in the book saying that there isn't a word called anti. Anti. He was saying, "What is the opposite of fragile?" And so he made up this word and he called the book anti-fragile. And now I think it is in the dictionary now because it was used in the book and it's been used in many articles and so on over the last few years. You know what is coming up for me? That's really interesting to know that that that's something that's been added to let's say the dictionary, what's coming up for me is you are many years later creating your own encyclopedia, Tony. Yeah. Cause in talking to you today, you sound like an encyclopedia. It's really interesting. You know what I mean? So the range is the range of words that we have to discuss today and your breadth of understanding and reading is truly amazing. But, Let's lighten it and, and, and let me just talk to you a little bit about general words that we take for granted, another one, which is laughter. Right. Yeah. Okay. Is that the intention of creating that in your podcast? What, what do you mean by laughter? Well, and, and I'm not sure if, I've, if we've had this conversation. So last year, about a year and a half ago, mm. um, I became an instructor in something called laughter yoga. Oh right, okay. Do you, are you? Do you know what laughter yoga is? Um, no, but I'm sure you're going to tell me right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, laughter yoga. It actually there's not really much about yoga involved in it at all. Oh really? It's, it's okay. all about laughter, and because when we laugh, we we release so many feel good chemicals. Our body, our brain, just releases all these feel good chemicals, which just circulate all around us. Okay. And I can't remember the, the, the stats now, but there are – so well, when you do a session of laughter yoga, essentially at the beginning of it, you're, you're kind of forcing, you're kind of faking the laughter. 
Mm. And you're usually it's done in a, in a face-to-face environment. Obviously, at the moment, that's more difficult. But you're usually there'll be maybe 7, 10, 20 people, whatever, in a group. And you might be doing things like throwing a balloon to each other and coming out with some crazy word or you're doing these silly games. And initially, you're sort of faking the laughter. But very soon, and I mean within minutes, that laughter becomes genuine. And then it's very contagious because, you know, when someone's laughing a lot, you're more likely to laugh. Mm-hmm. And when you've got everyone in a room is just laughing, genuinely laughing, it's very difficult to, to, to not laugh yourself. Mm-hmm. And it soon becomes a situation where, I mean, every time I've gone to a laughter yoga session, by the end of it, it's usually 45 minutes, an hour long. Mm-hmm. I've got a stomachache from laughing. Which wow. is the great, that's the best kind of stomachache to have because you just wow. feel so good. Wow. You just, your body is exuding all these feel good chemicals and you leave that place feeling amazing. And the very first time I did a laughter yoga session, mm-hmm. and at the time I was doing, well, and I still do, I, would, I do workshops for people. And one of the things about workshops, and you'll know this, is that when if, if it's like a full day workshop and people are just sat down in a chair and trying to take all this information in that you're giving them, there's only so much that we can, can take in before we yeah. get bored, yeah. uh, before we're not engaged and so on. And so I was looking for ways that how can I change the atmosphere? How can I change the mood? And within minutes of doing this, immediately I thought, I have got to learn how to do this so I can do a little bit of this in my workshops and completely change the mood mm-hmm. and just get people buzzing and energized. And then it's, it's not only does it make them feel good at the time, but it also then helps them to take in more energy, more, more information rather, because they just, um, they're in a whole different state. Interesting. Yeah, it changed. I mean, I, I agree. It does re- release certain endorphins in your body. Mm-hmm. And make you relax and look at things very differently and, and, and forget the stress and strains of the day. I think laughter mm-hmm. is always good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's very healthy. Um, another one that's, I think, really interesting to understand because it has different meanings is the word present. Mm-hmm. And you so know, often people aren't present, are they? Yeah. How many times have we been... Well, not so much us, because I think when we meet, we're pretty good at this. But I don't think there's a lot of people I know when I meet them you know, in a bar or in a coffee shop or for a meal or whatever. And one of the first things, first things that many people do is they put their phone down on the table in front of them. Yeah. And so that's really telling you they're not really 100% focused on the conversation with you. Yeah. There's a little bit of focus there on that phone. Yeah, because otherwise, why have the phone on the table? Why not just leave it in your pocket or leave yeah. it in your, you know, it, this and having that phone there, yeah, is just uh, it, it it ruins so much about life now because it's yeah. just it's people are far less focused now. They're much more distracted, and being a hundred percent present in any interaction you're having with someone shows how much you honor and respect what they're saying and you're truly listening to them and you're completely focused on them at that time. Yeah, it, it is. It brings about a completely different connection mm. when you are present. Mm. Um, I mean, when you say the word, you think of, 
you know, I'm going to give you a present. But I think even if I'm going to give someone a present or I'm going to give you a present, that is no longer, that, no, no, that is not as powerful as being mm. present in a conversation. You mm. know what I mean? And what, what, what um, I want to go across a little bit, actually. Um, and I must say that the whole concept of your podcast and explaining and discussing all of these different areas is fascinating. Yes, and? Have you ever done um, improv? No. So this is the cardinal thing about improv. So for, for anyone who doesn't know what I mean by improv, improvisation, it's a form, it's a form of comedy. Right. And when there's, there's improv workshops around, and, and the, the, the basic thing about improv is that you have to think with this mentality of yes and Mm. so someone asks you to do something and you never say no you always have to think on your feet and say yes and let's do blah so it could be that i say to you right we and this is all it's all imaginary imaginary scenarios that people are coming up with in this improv situation and i might say to you um, and you have to pretend to be a dinosaur, and then you're going to say, yes, and a dinosaur that hasn't had any breakfast, and I'm a really grumpy dinosaur, and then you tell me some crazy scenario, and then I have to go with that. Even if at first I might think, well, how am, I don't know how I'm going to go with that, but you just got to let your trust your brain that you're going to come up with something creative and not block it. Blocking it is by saying no. That's just then it can go. It can't go anywhere. So you know, um, there was a program that used to be on TV. Used to be one of my favourite programs. Was whose line is it anyway? Yeah, that was excellent. That's all improv because yeah. they're just coming up with things on the spot. So yeah. they're given these situations and they have to react to them. Yeah. And if you ever go to the comedy store in London on a Wednesday or a Sunday night, they have the comedy store players which is all about improvisation, and it's absolutely hilarious. Really? Yeah. Okay, now I understand. I suppose when I read that and you said yes and, I was thinking of yes but, mm. and I said everything before the but doesn't count. Mm. Um, I was thinking of the film when I'm going to read, uh, ask you to explain this one to me. Mm. Um, the fourth sector, what does that mean? Mm. So the fourth sector is, it's about, it's an emerging sector of the economy, which consists of for, you know, for benefit organizations and they mm. combine, combine market-based approaches of the private sector with uh, social environmental aims for public and non-profit sectors. And it's about trying to do things for causes that you really have a, um, that you're really concerned about or that you, you really have a feeling for. And so for example, uh, this is introduced to me by a guy called Barnaby, uh, Barnaby Winter. And what many big corporations are aiming to do is, well, corporations who, have, uh, who care about the world and care about people and their neighborhood and, and so on. They are trying to, they're starting a situation where they're giving away 40% of their profits to causes that they believe in. And so something that I'm intending to do within the next couple of years is that I want to do the same. I want to give away 40% of my profits to, to things that I really care about, such as, I mean, I have a really, 
hatred of uh, factory farms. So I want to sort of support causes that are aiming to reduce and, and stop all, you know, factory farming because it's just right. a, a horrendous in so many different ways. You know, not right. only the treatment the animals get, yeah, the food that comes from it that people are eating is making them sick and they don't realise. And there's just yeah. so many bad things about factory farming. But, yeah, the fourth sector is about really trying to help causes that you really believe in. So it's more than just charity. It's, 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 it's a level above that. Oh, I see. So it's a level above a cause that I'm passionate about. Mm. And who is part of the fourth sector? That's interesting. So it's only started in the in the last couple of years, and there's not so many people who have taken it on board yet. But right. it seems to be more and more um, corporations are starting to implement this, and there's there's a drive now to try to get more big corporations and companies to, you know, obviously it's not going to be something for everyone because a lot of companies, a lot of CEOs, directors don't care about anyone else. So it's only going to be companies who are really ethical ethically driven and and really want to help people and neighborhoods and client you know mm-hmm. much more than just a normal just trying to get as much profit as you can mm-hmm. i tell you you know what what's interesting is that we've spoken about the fourth sector which is about something that's beyond the charity cause it's something that's much more personal to yourself mm. not to say that charities are not and then we spoke about being present and listening mm. but i wrote an article recently and about listening and you've got one of the words that you're talking about is going to be part of your podcast is listen tell mm. me your understanding of it well, you know, there's the old, which now seems like a cliche, the, you know, about we have two eyes and one mouth. Yeah. And they should be used in equal proportion. But it's so true because especially, I mean, we both talk, you know, I mean, a lot of what I've done the last few years is similar to you about the whole value thing and trying yeah. to give as much value as possible. Yeah. And in that kind of value, when it comes down to sales, and there's so many salesmen don't listen to their clients at all. It's just... I'm going to do this sales pitch and I'm going to tell you what I've got to offer. And they don't really listen to what that person wants. It's just about what they're going to give. Mm. And, and if you don't truly understand what someone's wants and needs are, then how can you properly um, really meet their expectations? How do you really know that you're doing a, a good job for them? And so I think listening is so important. I discovered it when I was a, a wedding DJ. Mm. I think one of the reasons that I did so well as a as a wedding DJ in that I would always meet with the prospective couples that are interested in booking me. And for the first 15 minutes, I tried to do as little talking as possible. And I just tried to get them to to really tell me about their personalities and their likes and their dislikes and what they'd seen at other weddings and about their family and about their friends and what kind of thing they were aiming for. Yeah, and so that was, uh, yeah, listening, I just think is, is so important. Mm. Optimus. Mm. I think I have an understanding of where it comes from and what it means, but tell me a little bit more about Optimus. Because I think, you know, it, it'll, be, it'll be great to understand where that word comes from, mm-hmm. where, the, you know, its origin, and also what it means, what you mean by, by it, you know, what, what, what the definition is of it. 
So optimism comes from the Latin word optimus. You know, and that actually means best. So it's about expecting that the best is going to happen. Yeah. Um, and even if you don't think that the very best is going to happen, but if you're, if you're optimistic and you think things will get better instead of worse, it's about that kind of mentality. You know, right. It's the opposite of pes- pessimism where the expectation is everything is going to go wrong and, and then you're inviting things to go wrong because you're in that mindset. So it's not about naivety. Mm. It's not about just all, just sort of not seeing the bad. It's, it's not what it's about at all. But it's about being in a frame of mind where you're looking for for good things, and you're looking for you're you're looking for the good things in other people and situations and so. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So you're looking for the good in yourself and in others. Mm. Yeah. Okay. You know, there's one here that I mean, people talk about health all the time, but this word has really struck out for me because I'm thinking. What does it mean, ancestral health? So today's society, you know, we have so much disease mm. and sickness, and it seems to be the norm. Well, it, it's almost abnormal now to meet, especially someone who's, say, past 30 or 40, who's not on some kind of medication, who hasn't yeah. had surgery for something, who yeah. is, you know, it's just people seem to think that it's normal to be on various medication. That, that's yeah. not normal at all. Yeah. And, and it's because of this, it kind of relates back to the factory farm thing I was talking about. The, the food that we eat is just, and uh, especially the processed food that most people eat, and uh, the colas, the sodas, which are just full of sugar. I mean, they're just so toxic. And because of the, the food and the drinks that we eat and the lack of sleep and the, huge amount of stress that we people generally sort of put up with on a daily basis that's just brought on so much disease so ancestral health is about best practice as in living um trying to live a life and trying to eat the way that our ancestors and ancestors did many generations ago i mean like sort of hundreds even like thousand years ago where everything was essentially plant-based food yeah. and it was, and it was meat that hasn't been injected with antibiotics and, and, and stuff. So it's eating good quality meat and, but mostly plant-based food and nothing that comes in a packet and it's right. full of sugar and toxins and chemicals. I suppose that, that rings through because, you know, if we think of our parents, my mm. mom, when she was alive, for, you know, most of the time when we were getting older, we used to say to her, my mom's skin was just amazing. It's, mm. like, it's like a baby's body. We used to say, you ate all the stuff, all the good stuff, and then you gave us, you brought us here, and you brought, you, we were born here, and we had to eat all the stuff that gives us spots, pimples, mm. this, that, and the other. Because I couldn't believe into her 60s, 70s, my mom's, not, not so much her health, because it slowly deteriorated, but her skin and I attributed it to the way and what they ate mm. all those years ago, which mm. had nothing to do with ready-made and sugar-based. and You know what I mean? Mm. It was all plant-based. Mm. You know? um, and that's talking about our health, our organs, how we live and how we operate, and those who are, who, who, who are ill and have sicknesses. What does the word 
mitochondria mean or mitochondria mean? So mitochondria is so important in um, in so many different ways. It's it kind of comes back down to the whole energy thing we were talking about, right? Um, before it's these small, tiny membranes, and it's just it's the source of all of our energy, really. Um, the chemical energy needed to power the cells and the kind of biochemical reactions. And it's just, it's just stored in a very small um, molecule called you know, ATP. And it's just, it's just a source of all our energy. It goes back to when before when we were talking about energy and sleep and, and meditation and so on. So mitochondria is hugely important. Right, okay. A couple more I just wanted to give. I just wanted to ask you before we wrapped. Um, Ikagi. Ikagai. Ikagai, okay, at least I got one of them. Okay. <laughs> okay, I stand corrected. Ikagai, what is and that? I'm, and I might have even pronounced that wrong. It might, it, it's I think it is Ikagai. You yeah. might be appalled. Ikagai. Yeah, because yeah, I lived in Japan for, for six months. Okay. Um, and it's, it's a Japanese concept that means it's, it's about the whole reason for being, um, having a purpose in life, uh, you know, what makes life worthwhile and about taking you know spontaneous actions and having just yeah just about meaning of life and having satisfaction is really what it's about mm. it's closely related to there's another japanese word um kaizen i was just about to ask you about that tell me a little bit more about that and that's uh, means sort of change for the better and always looking to constantly improve and now, before we were talking about this sort of insatiable hunger for learning that I have. So it's about always trying to learn, being curious, being just wanting to know things and not just simply plump down in front of a TV and whatever comes on, you just sit there and watch. That's not really, you know, it's it's very different mindset to that. Right. I tell you what... Um has come up for me in talking to you about this. And um, it's a, actually, there's a couple more words. And I'm going to tell you what it all comes up for me here. Yeah. Dio Valente. Dio Valente is um, fate willing. Or I don't know if you've heard, I, I lived in Muslim countries for quite a while. I lived in Syria for a while. I lived in Indonesia for a long time. And there was a phrase I used to hear all the time, which was inshallah, inshallah. Yeah. Um, which is God willing or fate willing. And it's a similar term or fatty. So it's about um, the maybe if we made an arrangement to meet tomorrow for lunch at uh, three o'clock, and then I might say to you at the end of all the arrangements, Dio Valente or Inshallah, you know, we're going to meet fate willing. If, if nothing, if the trains don't break down, if my, you know, the restaurant doesn't catch fire, whatever it might be, if everything is okay, we will meet tomorrow at three o'clock. Right. Okay. Okay. Dia Valente. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so two more, if I may, because yeah. they're jumping out at me and I'm thinking they're, they're, they're they are equally important. Mm. Equanimity. Mm. And it's about equanimity for me is just about, Staying calm and not letting all the stresses of life get on top of you. Oh, and okay. Being composed, even in a difficult situation, because mm. 
often that's the time we need most to be um, in an equi- uh, you know, in that kind of state. You know, I was going to say an acrimonious state. I can't remember what it is now. But when we're in a, a stressful situation, the worst thing we can do is being anxious and and not thinking properly because then that just makes it worse. Right. So if we can act with equanimity and calm and have some composure, we're far more likely to come out of that situation in a in the in a way that's sort of best for everyone involved. Right, okay. And actually, you know, before you explained it, I had this thing of equality mm. uh, when I thought and I heard of the word equanimity. Mm. But um what has come up for me is this whole learning is I'm going to wrap two words together mm-hmm. and maybe as we talk about it, you, you know, you, you can give me the, the dual explanation. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful and I want to use the word gratitude. I'm mm-hmm. grateful for the opportunity to do this podcast with you and to look at these words because I've learned so much. The other part of it is I celebrate our relationship and our friendship going back X, Y, Z years. <laughs> <laughs> maybe U V W X Y Z years, maybe that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I celebrate that. Mm. So I'm grateful. I'm looking at the word that you, you, we talked about here, which is part of your podcast, which is gratitude, which mm. is celebrating. And the other word is encouraging. Mm. I'm encouraged, and I find it encouraging that these words have all been great learnings to me, and it's encouraging for me to learn them and to be excited by them. So mm. wrap up for me, if you don't mind, gratitude, yeah. celebrating and encouraging. Well, I think gratitude is such an important word, isn't it? Because yeah. by being grateful for what we have, rather than always just striving for more and more, and, and then as soon as you get that new thing and then just immediately forgetting about it, it's just being you know that's no generally it doesn't lead to to having a happy life but when you're grateful for what you've got you're more likely to especially for for our children and our loved ones because yeah. too often we can just be taking them for granted and we're just trying to get more and more money and working more and more and just thinking oh well i've got my children they're always going to be there and then suddenly they're 20 years old and you've hardly spent any time with them and they're they don't really think of you as a as a father because you weren't really there for them but if you're always grateful for them and therefore you're more likely to spend time with them on a regular basis like every week not just a couple of times a year when you go on holiday so that's so gratitude i think is so important and it means you're more likely to appreciate the things that you have in your life, the material things, the, your, your family, your, your friends and, and so on. And celebrating, I think we, we and it, I guess it goes hand in hand with that gratitude because if you're always just striving for new things and then once you get that new thing, you don't pause to, to be grateful for getting that thing. You just go straight on to try and get the next thing. Then that's no way of living a life. But if you can have a name to get something and then when you get that thing then you pause and you celebrate wow i got that goal that i set i got that promotion or i got that car or I, whatever it might be 
and then you celebrate it and then you're you appreciate that that new car, that new job, whatever it might be. Mm. That's a much more for fulfilling life. Encourage. Well, I think if we always encourage each other, mm. we're it's, we're gonna all of us will will move move forward more. So mm. rather than criticizing each other, if we can always just be showing show each other encouragement, it's just um, we all gain from that, really. Right. I wanna, I wanna say one last word, which I think, and I'm hope, I'd, I'd like for you to explain, because when I look at Carpe Diem, um, Amor Fati, Memento Mori, um, Eudaimonia, and then I think about, you know, the general ways that we've used, which is gratitude, celebrating, encouraging. Mm. What really resonates in my heart is temperance. Mm. You know, and so I want to ask you, if I may, in closing, because this has been great, mm. is what is what do you mean, and what is temp- what is meant by temperance? It's really it's about self control and not um, being too hedonistic in things, and sort of always just going for the pleasure of, of which is a very sort of temporary thing, right? So it's about being really um so for example with before we talked about courage Mm. if you have way too much courage i suppose this is related to fear so if you have no fear at all that's reckless Mm. whereas if you're completely absorbed or you're just way too much fear then that's cowardice Mm. So the halfway point between that is is courage, mm. and where, but I say halfway. It's probably it might not be halfway. For some people, it might be a third. It might be two thirds. Where where is the point where that courage? Where you you don't want to be reckless. You don't want to be a coward. So so I think kind of temperance comes into this. It's about for everything in life. There's always that. Uh, kind of golden mean. The, 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 it's not necessarily the average, but it's the point where that works for you in your life, but which might be a different point for me in my life. Right. Okay. Great. Um, I'm going to leave today with one, so many words that are really new to me. Um, but a couple stick out. Um, Arete, Ludus, but also in the context of Ludus, Pragma, which is enduring love. Mm. I was familiar with um, with um, Memento Mori, but that's just reaffirmed it. Mm. Um, fourth sector really stood out for me. Mm. And another one was anti-fragile. Mm. You know, so... Um, those words, you know, you know, I used to talk about just knowing one word and then using it for the rest of the day. I think I've got about seven, maybe more, <laughs> <laughs> to, to commit to memory, which I've already put in my journal. So, um, yeah, thank you. Well, and, and it's, I mean, and, and thank you. But what I'm hoping is over the episodes in this you know, new podcast, Happy Versus Flourishing, that each episode we're going to explore some of these words in much more detail with an expert yeah. in someone. For example, we've got a guy called Massimo Pierluci, who's a professor in New York, 
Um, and he's got three PhDs in in biology, in philosophy, and in uh, something technical. I forget what it is. But the guy is amazing what he knows. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, in that episode, we're going to go much more into some things around sort of ethics and, and wisdom and, and sort of areas like that and applying it to your life on a daily basis. And then we've got an episode with a guy called Galahad, Galahad Clark, who, you know, you remember when we, when we were kids, we used to buy shoes from Clarks. Mm-hmm. Well, he is from that Clarks empire, I suppose you could say. His parents were, I think, I don't know if it was his parents or his grandparents, um, formed the company Clarks. And he's still involved in making shoes, but he's taken a very different direction to the company Clarks because he's all about shoes that are... Um, healthy because typically shoes that most people wear are not healthy for their feet they they're pointed it's all about fashion it's all about looking good and it's not about the health of the foot and when we treat our feet so badly that leads to pains in our ankles and our knees and our backs and our hips which causes just so many problems and surgery and and pain and so he produced he creates shoes that are very different they're it's about function rather than just looking good. And so we're going to get into a conversation with him about, well, how did this situation come about in the first place? And and sort of areas around health with him. And we've got another interview with a lady who is a functional medicine practitioner. So we're going to explore much more around health. And, and the whole idea of all these episodes, of all these different guests, are all specialists in different areas, a lot of the stuff that we've talked about over the last hour, is giving the listeners ways of how you can improve the quality of your life in just small different ways so it might be you pick up a couple of tips in the episode on functional medicine that can improve yeah. your nutrition and your health yeah and you might pick up a tip in the guy you know the, the shoe guy about how you can treat your feet better and then there might be a, a tip from massimo uh, Piaglucci about how you can be more ethical and more um, show more empathy and so on so, and that's the idea I'm just hoping that people will pick up little things and it'll be different everyone will pick up probably something different but in each episode there's something that will maybe help you to have a, a better quality of life right excellent excellent okay well Morton I really appreciate you taking the time to to sort of ask me the questions that you've got that you've had which may be some of the same questions that people have looked at the pod work, podcast artwork and are thinking, oh, what does that mean? What does that mean? What's this podcast all around? So by you asking those questions, hopefully a lot of people um, who are listening to this for the first time will now have their answers um, or their questions answered. So thank you for, for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. I've really enjoyed it. Um, so many have learned today. And of course, your encyclopedic knowledge, which we you continue to have and probably put it down to rest for a couple of years but it's been it's been amazing thank you thank you Martin So that was episode one of Happy Versus Flourishing. Thank you very much to Morton for um, his assistance and great questions and asking questions that many of the listeners may have been thinking about as well. And if there are other things that maybe you're unsure about or if you've got any questions, please feel free to, to email or um, 
you can take part in the group. At the moment, the group is still called Exceeding Expectations. That may be the name may be changing very soon, but you're welcome to to go on to the Facebook group and um, post any questions on there. Next week, uh, episode two is with Barnaby Winter. Barnaby is a marketing genius. He's been, he used to work for the huge advertising company, uh, Sachi and Sachi, and has launched many very well-known brands um, and has been in marketing for many years. But he's not just simply a marketing genius, he's also has a, a fantastic lifestyle, which is one of the reasons I invited him on. He has a really nice family, a great home environment, um, doesn't work too hard but earns good money and it's a comfortable lifestyle so we're going to hear a lot more from Barnaby and about the sort of things he does and his approach to life and so on so that's next week episode two with Barnaby Winter if you do like this show please do share it with anyone who you feel would really get some benefit would enjoy some of the content in this show uh, ask them to subscribe if you're not su- subscribed yet why not what are you waiting for get on the uh, get on your subscription button and please do leave a review as well that is really helpful it really gets the word out gets more people uh, hearing about the show and more likely to listen to the show so until next Tuesday I hope you have a great week